Good morning. The reading from Isaiah relates to the reading uh, from Matthew. So see if you can see the connection. Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, bidichi, I reckon, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Thank you, Rod. Now, I know you're still enjoying that sort of afterglow of Christmas, and it's not your new year yet, just yet. 
This is the nice bit, isn't it? Where nobody's really expecting very much of you. It's one of my favorite times of the year. But have your thoughts turned to making any New Year's resolutions? I've stopped making them because I think it's important to be honest with yourself and those around you. And I don't want myself out to be a liar or uh, overambitious. But I'm sure you're much better than me. So if you made one, you go for it. And there are different kinds of resolutions, aren't there? There's giving something up or deciding you're going to start doing something, uh, cutting back on something, increasing in something. It can be material things. It can be personality things. New Year's resolutions can be a really helpful thing. But in today's passage, Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist, who keeps going on about not resolutions, but something more. Repentance. Repentance. So there's an outline in your leaflets. We'll have a look at what repentant means. repentance means. As we look at this bloke who's in a very different outfit, with his very different message, and a very different baptism. So first of all, there's this bloke in this very different outfit. John seems to our ears to be very eccentric, doesn't he? Verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And yet, people came flocking to see him. Verse 5, we mustn't miss this. People went to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So John the Baptist, he wasn't just like a local celebrity like Scotty at Colonnades. He was a big deal. People flocked to him from every town and village, from all over the country, countryside and towns. And in Acts, we read about him having disciples miles away from Jerusalem. So John the Baptist was the, the big deal. He was the Taylor Swift concert ticket of his day. And why? Well, to understand why all these crowds went to such trouble to go and see him, we need to get our heads around a few things, because we're not first century Jews, so we've got a bit of catching up to do with some of Matthew's references. But that's okay, we do that all the time, and we're watching TV or movies, don't you know? If it's in uh, New York or something, there are loads of niche references that we get to know, and we adjust to, and we can do the same with the Bible. So just briefly, here's some background. Verse 1, John the Baptist. So Baptist isn't his surname, it's what he does, it's what he's famous for, baptizing people. So what's baptism? Well, Christians didn't invent baptism. Uh, Jewish people were already doing it. It was an identification ritual, which involved dunking someone in water or sprinkling them with water. And it was a way of identifying yourself with the thing you were being baptized into. The water was a symbol of you washing away what you previously identified with. And the thing is, it was practiced by Jews on non-Jews who wanted to convert to Judaism and leave paganism behind. It wasn't generally done by Jewish people on themselves. So John is baptizing even Jewish people, and his message begins, verse 2, repent. So as we said with the kids, most simply, repent means to turn around, to do a 180, it's not just realizing you're in the wrong. It's deciding to change and go in a different direction in how you live. It's 
In its simplest form, it means changing your mind. It's a fundamental shift of orientation of your mind, your will, your heart, all of who you are. So, for example, before I became a Christian, my life was about me, what I wanted, my popularity, my well-being. Even the good things I did, ultimately, were for my own sake, to make me feel good or to make me feel not guilty. But I, like every other Christian, turned away from living for myself and chose to live for Jesus instead. And repentance is a radical change in orientation that results in changed behavior, in changed outlook, changed priorities. And that's what John is calling people to. And why? He gives his reason, verse 2. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Kingdom of heaven. That's another way of saying kingdom of God. It's just that Jewish people didn't like to say God's name in order to keep honoring him to make sure they didn't accidentally blaspheme. So they would say kingdom of heaven instead. The kingdom of heaven is God's rule over a realm, but specifically his uncontested rule over his realm. See, God is ruling right now, already, everywhere, all the time. But right now, he allows that rule to be opposed to a certain extent. Opposed by spiritual forces like Satan and opposed by us, opposed by humanity. We've each, in our own way, opposed God's rule. So instead of good, evil flourishes. Pride, hatred, arrogance, injustice, oppression. All these things that come from our hearts and are the fruit of our turning our backs on God's loving rule. But the Old Testament promises in places like Isaiah 65 that there'll come a day when God's rule, God's kingdom will rule uncontested, visibly, publicly, without any opposition, so that only goodness and love flourish, so that there's only complete justice, no wrongs, complete peace, nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. Uncontested rule. And as well as lots about a kingdom, the Old Testament also looked forward to a king for that kingdom. And there's lots about him in what we call the servant songs in Isaiah. So, for example, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So there's a kingdom and there's a king. And this king will have all authority over nations and all creation. So a kingdom to look forward to and a king to look forward to. But that's not all the Old Testament tells us. There's also the promise of a forerunner, somebody who will come before that king to get everyone ready, to say to everyone, here he is, he's on his way, get ready. And that's what Matthew is quoting in verse 3 from the reading Rod Brothers from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. If you picture like the Champs-Élysées, it's a kind of a straight long road for a conquering king to process down. Matthew's saying that John is this messenger. So that means, he's saying, 
God's king is about to turn up. Malachi 3 verse 1, also from the Old Testament. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So Malachi is also saying this messenger will be like the prophet Elijah. He also says he'll be like the prophet Elijah. So by the time John the Baptist turns up, Israel haven't had a prophet for over 300 years. Being like kind of like radio silence from God. And things aren't going well. They're occupied by, they've returned to the land, yes, but they're occupied, they've always been occupied, currently occupied by the Romans. They're a long way from the return to the glory days they hoped for. They're desperate for God's king to come and establish his kingdom. And so they've got their antennae up, waiting for this forerunner, got their eyes out looking for him, got their radars on. And then here comes John, this bloke in this very different outfit. I've got a slide here. These are apparently um, the lightest fashions for blokes, hopefully. Does that make it? Yep. I know I'm pretty suave, but um, you can probably see me in these. These are apparently the latest fashions of blokes from Paris Fashion Week. Now, if you saw a bloke down colonnades dressed like that, you'd know that he was a follower of fashion and probably in the wrong place. His clothes would say something about him, wouldn't they? John's clothes say something about him. They mean he looks like Elijah the prophet. So he's fitting the bill already. He sounds like Elijah. He's saying the same kind of stuff. And he even, with his locusts and honey, eats like the prophet Elijah. So that's why the crowds are coming to see him. He's fitting the bill as the messenger, the forerunner. So God's king must be on his way. We understand anticipating something, don't we? You know, like at Christmas, you look for, you're anticipating Christmas happening. Now we're anticipating a new year. But, you know, the new year will come and then we'll be looking forward to something else. But recognizing John the Baptist is God's messenger means that we know that the most important news in history has already happened. God's King Jesus has come And he's set in motion, he started off his complete rule. So that was the good news directly relevant to John's crowds, and it's the good news directly relevant to us. So let's have a closer look at John's message, his very different message, our next section. So here's... John the Baptist, baptizing not just unbelievers, not just pagans, but also Jews. They're all repenting. Even God's chosen people are recognizing that there's a problem between them and God. That they've got some things wrong. Verse 6, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. What was so different about John's message was... That it wasn't just calling for behavior modification. It wasn't just like, oh, 2023s, you've not behaved very well, behave better next year. He was calling for repentance, for a change of heart. And people often think Christianity is just about behavior modification, about following the example of the good man Jesus. 
But it, behavior, just being good, well-behaved, can't be what John meant by repentance. Because his harshest words were for the experts in behavior modification. Those who were most successful at it, those best behaved, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders who'd come along for a nosy to see what all the fuss was about. And John isn't convinced that they're there to repent. So verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to see Coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, Well, we have Abram as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So hardly a warm welcome for the powers that be from John. He calls them a brood of vipers because... Whilst they may have been great at making rules and following rules and being well behaved, their good behavior wasn't coming from a heart of knowing that they were in the wrong and turning to God. They haven't come to confess their sins. They've become because they don't think they need to. They think they're all right. John knows that their trust is in the benefits and the privileges of being Israelites, being descendants of Abraham, so being part of God's chosen people. So they're trusting in the benefits of all of that rather than trusting and loving God for his own sake. Loving what they can get out of him, not of God himself. So they were great at being sticklers for the law that God had given, but couldn't see their own failure to love the law giver. And worse, they're leading the people astray into loving their own rule-keeping performance instead of God. And they're making out God to be a kind of cosmic killjoy who gets grumpy every time somebody starts enjoying themselves. It's so far from the truth. And John says, It's so blunt with them because so much is at stake. Where people are going to spend eternity is at stake. Because with God's rule will come God's judgment. Verse 7, John warns of the coming wrath, God's just and right anger, his settled opposition to evil and sin. And verse 10, the axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And verse 12, talking about Jesus, the coming king, he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's about as confronting as he can be, isn't he? Judgment is coming and we all deserve it. And the idea of God getting rid of evil, getting rid of sin once and for all, people getting the just desserts, that's that's a great idea, isn't it? It's a great idea until we realize that we're part of the problem, that we'll be held to account. It's a great idea until we remember our own prideful sin. See, every one of us has failed to love God as we should. So if you, let's picture it like this. Imagine a family. The parents have loved and nurtured their children, really cared for them lovingly, made sacrifices for them, given them all they could to help set them up in the world. 
And every Christmas, they buy really thoughtful gifts and look forward to their now grown-up kids coming home. But imagine if each Christmas there's a knock on the door and their sons and daughters just barge in, barge past mum and dad at the door, head straight for the Christmas tree, just rifle through all the gifts, chuck out the kids' ones, grab their gifts, walk out again and clear off home without so much as a greeting, a word of thanks, or any acknowledgement of the kindness and warmth and relationship they've been shown. What would those kids deserve? Well, that's what we do to God when we reject his rule and choose to live life for ourselves in our own way. And it deserves judgment. John's saying to the religious leaders, to anyone listening in, to us, you can't fool God with outward appearances. Relying on being a one of God, a descendant of Abram, won't save you from the coming judgment. Relying on being a decent person who tries not to do anyone around harm, whose good deeds outweigh their bad, won't save you from the judgment that those bad deeds deserve. So our problem with God is a serious problem requiring a serious response. Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So turn from where your life was heading, living for yourself, and turn to living for God instead. And that will produce good fruit, a transformed life. Now, any Christian here today will tell you that's a struggle, and it can feel like one step backwards and three steps back sometimes. Sorry, one step forwards and three steps back sometimes. And there's something for us all to repent of every day. And becoming more godly just help. Actually, if you meet Christians who've been a Christian a long time, towards the end of the life, they'll tell you that becoming more godly just helps you to see all the clearer how much we've got to repent of. But in all of that, our heart orientation, our trajectory is lined up with where true life, true freedom is to be found, living for God. We're not going to be perfect, but that living for God, going that way, produces the fruit of a changed life. Now, I get that this is a bit heavy for, um, you know, just after Christmas. But we're following the plan of the Bible. This is how Matthew follows up the Christmas story. Like John the Baptist, to get us ready. To get us ready. He tells us the bad news and what we must do about it, so that we're ready to hear the good news. Hear the good news. The good news of a very different baptism. John tells us what we can expect from this king that he's come to get, ready, get us ready for. Verse 11. Look, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now that line, the Holy Spirit and fire, that would have brought to mind for John's crowds another promise that God made about this king that he's going to bring about. From Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. Holy Spirit and fire. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, John the Baptist is saying, I haven't got the power to forgive you. I can't actually change your heart and deal with your sin. But the one who can is coming after me. And he really can. He's got the power and the authority to make you clean and start changing you from the inside out. John said, repent because the king is near. We need to repent because he's already been. And when he came first time, it was to save, to give us a way out of the judgment we rightly deserve and the way into perfect right relationship with God through confessing our sins, turning away from living for ourselves, turning to living for him as our Lord and Savior. He came to, that's his name, Jesus, God saves. He came to save us. But when he returns, as he promises he will, it will be to judge, to do away with evil once and for all. And in the meantime, today, he offers every one of us grace, mercy, forgiveness, a fresh start. And his power in a new heart to live this life of repentance. So did you get John's message? Jesus' message? Repent. Be serious about turning your life around. Changing your trajectory. If you've never confessed your sin to God. If you've never truly repented of it. Why not do that today? What's holding you back? Jesus promises you a new heart, a fresh start with the freest, most fulfilling life there is, a life lived with him as your king. Maybe you need to investigate Jesus further before you do that to make sure Jesus isn't fake news. And we'd love to help you do that, um, either one-to-one with me or one of our regulars or in a group on our Hope Explored course in February. But a great step forward is to read the rest of the story, to read uh, one of the gospel biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We've got ones we can give you. And ask God, read it and ask God to speak to you in a way that you will understand as you read it. And I reckon he will. But believers, unbelievers, for all of us, New Year's resolutions can be helpful, but they're tinkering around the edges. They're trying to fix ourselves from the outside in repentance turn your heart to jesus and he promises to help you complete that 180 in part now in this life and in eternity the full deal completely let's pray Lord God, thanks for sending John the Baptist to get us, and have all those messages in the Old Testament, to get us ready to receive your King. Lord, we confess that we still go astray. We still live lives our own way and reject your rule. And we want to repent of that. We want to turn away from that. We can't do it on our own strength. So we ask you by your Spirit to give us those hearts of flesh Remove that heart of stone and give us your power and authority to live the freest, best life there is, living for you.
Thank you for Jesus saving us. And that by his grace, we can know forgiveness and a fresh start each day. Amen.